This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Tuesday the 13th of September and I'm delighted to introduce Richard Simpson, CEO of Watkin Jones. Watkin Jones is the leading developer, builder and third party manager of new homes for rent across the UK and Ireland. Richard started working in real estate in 2003, joining Watkin Jones in 2019 and prior to joining industry, Richard served for six years in the British Army. Richard, welcome. Very good to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, our pleasure completely. Can we start with a bit of background you know, from army to real estate? How, how did that happen? So I wanted to join the military. My father had served in the army. Uh, a lot of my family have got good military connections. And it felt actually like a bit of a finishing school for me. So I've done my academic to varying degrees of success um, o- over my kind of formal education. And I actually thought, you know what, a bit of education in the military would be quite good. Learn about yourself. Uh, to kind of test your own resilience uh, and learn about people. So I, I decided to uh, do a commission in the in the military. Had a good year at Sandhurst. I say good with inverted commas. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's only good once you finished. At the time, it's pretty hellish. But again, you learn a lot. The key thing you learn is about teamwork. You can only achieve things by working very cooperatively, very collaboratively with others. And it sounds like a cliche, but it's so true in life, isn't it? You, you, you're only as good as the weakest part of, of the team you work in, and therefore it's really important to sort of value those around you. So saw a lot of those life lessons coming through Sandhurst and then in the military itself, based out in Germany, a number of operational tours um, around the world, and a lot of that was tested in, in kind of live, sometimes slightly hairy situations, um, and my leadership was tested. And I think, again, the team came together supported by some incredible uh, senior NCOs, sergeants and NCOs, corporals and some fantastic private soldiers and we all kind of pulled together and we got through, we got through well. Now those life lessons endure with you forever um, and I think are an important part of my my own sort of moral basis and how I view life generally. Left the army, as you say, after, after six years, had an amazing time, left as a captain uh, and got straight into real estate. I've I've always been really interested in something tangible, something you can build. I like the idea that you can you can see a knackered old corner on a high street or, or within a town or city, and actually over a year or two, you can totally regenerate it and make it a a uh, a place which people want to live in and thrive in and and, and see place making and communities come in there. So um, I started off doing supermarkets. I spent a year and a half doing discount supermarkets uh, in London. And that was a real proving ground, got qualified then. So I, I did a postgraduate degree in real estate at that stage. And then I did my surveying qualifications, all distance learning. So that was a bit of a, a challenge trying to balance your new career 
with learning formally about how you do it with the academic side of it we're trying to maintain a social life but as ever if you want something bad enough you'll you'll find a way won't you so got myself qualified then I joined um, I joined my first student accommodation developer and manager and that was Unite um, it's a well-known, well-known business. Obviously, listed in, in the UK for a long period of time as well. That's it. A, a, a specialist uh, student accommodation developer and manager. Um, I joined them in in two thousand and five, uh, and I I had um, I had sort of thirteen, fourteen, very very happy years there. Sort of joined as a effectively joined at, right, right at the bottom as a as a sort of junior land buyer, and over that period of time, I was very fortunate. A lot of success, a lot of growth. Um, and uh, a growing business always gives opportunities and I was able to, I say very fortunate, I was able to sort of take full advantage of that and sort of grow my career with Unite and about halfway through my 14 years I was fortunate enough to be put on the board of Unite and effectively look after the property portfolio which had grown materially over that period of time and then in my my sort of seven years on the board there uh, the company continued to grow so it became quite a Quite a large component part of the of the FTSE 250 um, was beginning to nudge up towards the the top of that that, that index. There, there was a um, an indirect vehicle with um, um, some co-investors was was formed, which is uh, which is known as USAF, the United Student Accommodation Fund, that was founded and that that grew very very quickly. Um, actually, v- grew very strongly through the Great Financial um, Crisis in in uh, 2008 2009. Um, and then in 2018, uh, I thought about uh, taking my career on to the next step, and I wanted to be a number one uh, in a listed business. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the listed environment. I'd, I'd enjoyed being effectively a number three at Unite, and it was time to take on a new challenge. And um, I was very, very pleased when Watkin Jones, which had listed about two years before in 2016, uh, the founder and chief exec um, announced that he was going to step down and retire. Um, and I knew there'd be an opportunity there to step in and potentially be his successor. And I was, I was again, fortunate enough to uh, be offered, and I, I certainly accepted, very gladly accepted the role to be chief executive of Watkin Jones. And Watkin Jones has a sort of phenomenal long history and is very much sort of a, 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 a before floating a family business. I mean, how did you find the sort of cultural challenges, as it were, when you joined Watkin Jones with that sort of ingrained family culture. You're absolutely right. And it, it's almost it's almost a it's almost a chapter in a in a sort of commentary on um, on, on, on sort of corporate evolution here. The uh, clearly there is some enormous strengths from a very powerful legacy of a extremely successful family owned, long standing family owned business. Let's not forget it was founded in the eighteenth century. You know, you're talking centuries of heritage here. And you couldn't, you know, if you could bottle, if you could bottle the energy and the loyalty and the desire to succeed, uh, you you would sell it many times over and make an awful lot of money. The the the, the, the sort of atmosphere in the business is incredibly powerful, and it's something to be very respected. And I think you have to respect the heritage of a business as, as successful as Watkin Jones, but at the same time, all businesses evolve, all business change need to change. And um, a lot of the culture and some of the practices of the business um, still reflected a private family-owned business. And, of course, that isn't, that, that isn't going to um, necessarily sort of give rise to the most successful companies, a listed business, and be able to sort of harness all the growth and the opportunities which sit in front of it. So you have to then very carefully tread the balance of nodding to the heritage and being very respectful of that tradition. 
but at the same time being really clear that where there is superb opportunities for this business, you will grab them with both hands and, and, and where you need to evolve and amend the business, you will do that too. Excellent. I mean, that, look, that makes a lot of sense. Where does Watkin Jones position itself within the sector? So Watkin Jones, as you say, is the UK's leading developer and manager of residential for rent. And so within real estate, uh, what we do uh, essentially is we focus on purpose-built student accommodation, build-to-rent multifamily, which is effectively apartment blocks where they've been built with long-term renting in mind, and also affordable housing. And what we do is we we effectively slot into the, the, the um, process where institutional investors are looking to uh, build long-term holdings of this underlying real estate of these assets and we are the we are the delivery conduit for them we will go and source the land we will secure planning permissions we will uh, develop the buildings for them and they have already committed to purchase the properties it's called a forward sale agreement and that's that's where that's essentially where we come in we we also have a, a fourth element or, or an element which sits the other side of the development which is the property management and we have a business called Fresh. Fresh, as I say, is a property manager. It does manage student accommodation, build to rent uh, very successfully. Looks after about 22,000 customers or tenants across the UK 24-7. It's a, it's, a very big, it's a very big job of work that the team do extremely well uh, over at Fresh. And we can, through Fresh, we can provide the property manager to any of the incoming uh, investors who are buying the assets to help uh, crystallize the full investment value of the asset another way of saying that is to provide an excellent bit of customer service and yep. um, p- provide a excellent proposition for those coming in so it's a turnkey solution for for the property investors then absolutely right yeah yeah exactly right we're we see ourselves as a bit of a one-stop shop so if you have institutional investors principally pension funds sovereign wealth funds they've decided that they want to diversify their investments more broadly into real estate and probably having invested in real estate want to increase their their weighting into real estate but not into more into the traditional side more into the alternative aspect uh, which is typically the living sector uh, which is squarely what what we develop for they will come to us and they will they will want to understand um, how they can do that successfully how they can deploy uh, capital over over multiple years in multiple transactions and also have a manager that can look after the asset once it's been developed and essentially we can provide all of that for them obviously there's a lot going on in in our in our sort of economic environment at the moment uh, interest rate rises and and access to to capital is always a question across many sectors but also certainly the property sector what happens in a sort of interest rate rising environment across your sector so I guess, um, I guess intuitively uh, and very s- simply, r- real estate generates a yield, um, and, and that yield is it has to be therefore compared to other other yields which are free. So yield being a return. So exactly a, a return, a yield being a, a um, the accumulation of all the rent which the tenant is paying over a given twelve month period, and then that cash, that net cash. Um, is compared to the asset value, so the overall value of that property, and, and that is your yield. It's, it's a net initial yield. It's an operating yield, which, which is generated out, out of the asset, out of the building. And, of course, that yield is directly compared to all other forms of income uh, on, a, on, a similar, on a similar yield basis that are available. Now, 
clearly in the last 10 years or so, we've had very, very low interest rates. That meant that has meant the, the equivalent yields in almost anything else from gilt bonds, uh, dividends from listed equities, uh, etc., have been actually quite low. And therefore, uh, property yields, which typically are between sort of 3 and 5% per annum, look very attractive. And therefore, investors are buying those incomes. Now, um, equally, where, where there's economic growth or there's structural growth within, within various sectors, i.e. more tenant demand coming, you would assume, therefore, rents will grow if there is limited stock available. And therefore, you can see your real yield, the real cash income you will generate in those assets growing over time. And therefore, you would be excited about a growth in uh, the net initial yield. And you'd be excited about growth in, in the overall value of the asset because the way commercial real estate is valued universally is by taking your net rent and um, you, you, you multiply that by a cap rate. Um, and therefore, if your net rent is growing, then your, the value of the asset will, will simply grow in line with the growth in, in the cash flow. So normally, and where we've had low interest rates as a backdrop, that has been incredibly supportive of real estate generally. So, of course, we're looking into a slightly different equation now. What are we looking into? Well, clearly the base rate is beginning to move, so the risk-free rate has gone up. We expect the base rate to continue to move. Uh, we also think the outlook generally for the UK economy um, and therefore, therefore for consumer demand and tenant demand is going to be mixed and um, more, more disrupted going forward. And therefore, just this plain sailing backdrop of growing income is unlikely. Or put it this way, if that was your thesis at the moment, that's quite na naive. So, so I think the way to look at the prospects for real estate generally is that um, uh, just by proxy to the raising base rate, um, capital values will come under pressure. But I think there are some... I, I think that is too, um, uh, it is too broad, broad brush a statement without looking at some more of the detailed segments. So I think some of the more traditional commercial real estate is probably going to come under more pressure. Um, but I think so those are offices, offices, retail, shopping centres, et cetera, et cetera. We're seeing that sort of even though distribution and logistics is more of the sort of newer, more alternative um, that seems to be coming under pressure at the moment too, uh, just because of the uh, nature of a suppressed economy having a direct impact on tenant demand yeah. uh, and business um, views on expansion to take more distribution space, etc. I think in residential it is different, so, um, uh, but not immune. I, I think it's important to say, but it is different. And, and why is it different in residential? And this clearly is a space which, which Watkin Jones operates within. Well, I think we've seen time and time again over history that um, residential has offered a really good hedge, an imperfect hedge, but a really good hedge on inflation, which means that conversely to the other parts of real estate I've just been talking about, um, we're seeing rental growth continue and actually quite strong rental growth. And there's been various things in the press over the last few weeks which continue to give a sort of drumbeat of evidence points that rents are going up. Now, where rents are going up, because, as I said earlier, rents and growing rents are a very important part of understanding the value of an asset, it actually puts less pressure on yields to just adjust in a very um, um, elastic way with the increase in the base rate. 
So whilst you cannot categorically say that there wouldn't be an adjustment downwards of residential asset value, um, where you are getting rental growth and continue to see rental growth, it is much more insulated. And I think, therefore, it is, um, it is not as clear-cut today that, um, that we are seeing sort of falls in, in, in residential prices. And I think that is a good support for the sector. And I guess your subsector of that being um, student accommodation, um, obviously uh, build-to-rent, uh, multi-generational f- um, families, etc., should be s- even somewhat more protected, even within the wider scheme. I would have thought. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, that, you know, that if you think about the whole thesis or the whole principles behind build to rent, are where people are choosing to rent. Um, they want to have um, more services, more amenity. They want to have more flexibility. Uh, it, it, it might well be that it, the circumstances just aren't right for home ownership. And let's face it, in a market where interest rates are going up, mortgages are becoming less affordable, not more affordable, um, and with perhaps this sort of cost of living squeeze, it might actually sort of further encourage people to come and rent rather than look to continue to follow the home ownership model. So I completely agree structurally you could see more tenant demand for renting in the next period, and that absolutely comes to the heart of what Build to Rent is all about. And then if we go back to offices, what, what happens with office space? And where do you see that market? Yeah, so I think uh, it's still quite early following COVID to sort of draw any conclusions, but you can definitely see trends out there. Um, I think I think following COVID, uh, I think the general view was people showed caution as to the future of offices. Clearly office developers and office owners were probably a little clearer as to the relevance of office space going forward and um, broadly sort of backed um, the need for, for office space. I think what we're seeing moving into a sort of more troubled uh, economic environment alongside how brilliantly work from home has been embraced by universally the entire market is probably seeing lower tenant demand, um, not not more, and, and therefore you would see pressure on rents uh, to, to, to come down. Now that stands in stark contrast, as I've just set out, mm-hmm. for the residential sector, yep. which I think is quite interesting. So so what happens then, potentially, there's a surplus of office space where I think naturally you would see the values fall. You would see um, some redevelopment, recycling of that, of that office space, presumably in, 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 in sort of good inner town and city locations, which would be ideal for re- regeneration into build to rent. And then do you see, if that's the case, do you then see yield expansion within the office market? And does that then become perversely quite attractive at another point in the future? Yeah, so that, that's right. So if you're not seeing, so so again, just the formula of how you would value the, the kind of logic path of valuing commercial real estate, you would say, if rents are not growing and there's a risk to the downside, then immediately your reference point to understand the value is to look at the net initial yield. And that net initial yield would then have to rebase to where you think the risk-free rate is is moving to and of course the risk-free rate universe is moving up at the moment that implies yields would expand that would imply capital values will fall um, and of course th- that is not a good situation for an asset owner holding on to that office so they'd be looking at declining IRRs um, in, ter- in terms of returns and it might well be the right thing to look to recycle that asset to sell it into the market. Has there been much liquidity in the market I mean post-Covid is there, have there been many big office in London, for instance? So, 
so there have been certainly. I think I think sort of post COVID for a couple of years we saw we saw a real recovery in in, in, in transaction levels within within commercial real estate within offices in particular. I mean, L- London is a major office market globally, uh, and and there was really strong liquidity and very strong appetite for transactions. I think it is probably fair to say over the last six to nine months that has cooled, um, but that's probably just following the. The sort of more more macro trends uh, as we've seen elsewhere too. A- again, probably important just to just to put a distinction out there, um, because Watkin Jones is forward selling residential property all the time. We are testing the market the entire time, and over the last few weeks, we've sold very successfully a number of properties. We've sold a um, we sold a, a a very significant BTR product, a build to rent product in Bath. Um, we have um, we have um, contracted with Legal and General on a very significant BTR regeneration scheme uh, over in uh, Cardiff, and we have also closed a built to rent scheme in Leatherhead um, with Get Living. So we are seeing quite a lot of evidence of transactions continuing at robust pricing. So I think this this kind of this kind of structural undersupply of residential in the UK, this growth in tenant demand to rent not own, um, is apps and this this natural hedge on inflation which residential provides, is giving investors in the residential space confidence to continue at the moment certainly. And have you seen any or an influx of foreign or, or, or non-domestic buyers? Because obviously the, the sterling's incredibly weak. I would imagine it's a great opportunity for for overseas investors to, to, to come to the market? Has, has that been a, a feature yet? So certainly over the last 12 to 18 months, I think the general tone has been coming out of COVID, more clarity on Brexit, uh, overseas investors who'd probably put UK on a watch list, probably not able to do too much but follow it, had probably felt as if they were now able to return to the UK market. And we certainly have seen over the last 12 months um, many more international investors wanting to get really close to us and understand the sector and understand the opportunities and actually get quite excited about investing some capital into some real estate here in the UK, so certainly within the residential space. Um, I think it's true to say that over the last few months, clearly alongside the sort of evolution of all this, this kind of macro change that we're seeing with a bit more caution, um, that some of those investors are probably still still going through due diligence rather than necessarily being ready to sort of come out into the market to purchase. But I think I think the overall trend is really positive that we are seeing more and more um, forms of capital, global forms of capital looking to invest. And then if we to, were to roll the clock forward three to five years, what does Watkin Jones look like then? What's, what's your vision? How do you drive the business the way you want it to be? So fundamentally, Watkin Jones is a growing business, and it, it's, it's growing because the opportunities to develop more residential stock in the sectors we focus in are really strong. And if anything, over the last couple of years, we've probably seen uh, a more positive growth in our underlying sectors than we thought we were going to see. I think the best example of that, or there's probably two, two good examples, um, the first one is just the growth in built to rent. Uh, institutional investors have absolutely come alive to the quality of the income that's generated from residential for, uh, for, from build to rent much, much more quickly than even we thought. And we've always been bullish behind that subsector, that sector. And so um, 
that has really given us confidence to look at growing quite meaningfully within build to rent over the next few years. You know, currently we have we've got a secured pipeline of about two and a half thousand units. We want that to grow materially, and therefore in you know five years' time, I can see that being much more meaningful. And, and let's not forget our two and a half thousand units is 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 a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of of market share. It, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the addressable market. Within affordable housing, which is again one of our newer segments, again we've been positive, we've been really pleased with the positive response from institutional investors. Actually, how open they are, and how much they want to see um, an ability to acquire affordable housing stock as part of their own sort of. Do um, they have a, their, Do they have a ESG requirement, as it were, or the, so the S becomes very important? I, th- I think that's right. Look, there's, there is absolutely no doubt that ESG is is here to stay, and rightly so. Every company, if they're serious about business, needs to be very serious about ESG. Um, and we're seeing, therefore, a number of funds who, are lo- who which have ESG mandates and focus. And certainly, look, if you were, if you're serious about ESG and you're prepared to invest money into UK real estate, then you, you really have to invest in affordable housing because it is, it, is the, it is the quickest and simplest and most demonstrable way that you can add value back into society by supporting the growth of high-quality affordable housing. I mean, clearly you can't argue with that. I mean, it, it is as simple as that, so you really should be looking at affordable housing. But, you know, affordable housing is not just an ESG story. It is, um, it is an incredibly defensive income stream. It's probably apart from very long leases to kind of quasi-government bodies, it's probably as bulletproof as you're going to get in terms of the defensive nature of, of that income stream. Um, clearly, almost zero correlation to the economic cycle and rental growth index linked. Indexes are looking quite strong at the moment, of course, uh, with, a, with, a, with, with, a, with effectively a proxy for a government guarantee standing behind it. So, so the, the actual investment itself is... Is, is a very good one too. But you're right, the, I think the ESG side of things is, is, is helpful in that regard. And then are there any other subsectors that Walking Jones would look to expand into? Do you have a shopping list of things you'd like to do? So as you know, we've been very bullish on student accommodation, on purpose-built student accommodation for a long while. I'm conscious I've hardly mentioned student. Student is something we're still very uh, long into. We, we, we still really like it. We can see quite material growth in student numbers over the next few years. Just from the demographic uptick alone, probably see another 200,000 um, UK students studying at, at universities over, over, the next, over the next few years. And then equally with the government's target on immigration, its immigration white paper wants to target another 300,000 uh, international students to come and study with, within the UK over the next decade or so. So, so I think fundamental growth coming and... Um, as we all know, our own experiences, when you look at a lot of university halls of residence, uh, they're quite dated. And therefore, there is a need for either new, good quality accommodation to be uh, developed, which will then uh, replace that, or indeed just to directly regenerate those, those existing halls. So I think, I think over the next decade or so, there is, there is an awful lot of uh, growth which can come through student accommodation. And obviously, it's a subsector you know exceptionally well from Unite. That's it, yeah. So I, I very much cut my teeth, as we were saying earlier, in terms of residential for rent uh, with Unite on purpose-built student accommodation. So it's a sector I've, I've, sort of, I've been fortunate enough to work in for, for quite a few years, and I, I continue to stay very, very bullish around. I think there is... You know, um, UK universities are... are, are the UK's fifth largest 
um, services export. You know, it is it is a very important part of UK PLC. It's actually a very important part of the UK balance sheet, and it's something which is which has a brand value, which is actually widely recognised around the world. It is it is a very powerful asset, and and uh, I think capital will continue. Uh, to invest in that asset to improve it, and the residences are an important part of it because fundamental demand to come and study at UK universities will stay very high and continue to grow. So, despite some black clouds of, uh, you know, over the economy, you know, there there seem to be some interesting pockets within the real estate sector of which Wilk and Jones sits that that could remain robust and and, and look interesting. I guess is. That's yeah, a, I thought it's a very, very good way to characterise it, isn't it? I mean, it's it's one of those things. Nothing, nothing is immune to those dark clouds that you've just set out. But nonetheless, you can navigate those dark clouds better than um, others. And I think the residential for rent space does provide uh, a very interesting way to sort of manoeuvre or to be more defensive for whatever comes next. As I say, I think this this structural undersupply plus the uh, hedge on inflation is a really interesting characteristic, yeah. which is which is really quite quite valuable at the moment. Richard, I like to end um, these podcasts with three questions that I ask everyone. So if I can take one, you know, each each one by each one, as it were, uh, your greatest inspiration or mentor. So I probably that's a great question. I probably go back to my. I'll probably go back to Sandhurst, one of my colour sergeants. In fact, my first colour sergeant in, in my first in my first term is a gentleman gentleman called Colour Sergeant Dean Hammond. He was he was a guardsman, senior NCO from the Grenadier Guards, and everybody talks about the first term at Sandhurst is probably your your, your bleakest term because what they try and do is they really try and break you down before they build you back up. And uh, he was an amazing an amazing individual, full of character, always had a smile on his face. Even as he was, uh, even as he was swearing at you, um, and actually show, showed me an awful lot about having a bit of courage and adversity, and a bit of personality always, and being very resilient. And, and he's an incredible, incredible mentor for that. And then a, a book which has inspired you. Another great one, I think. Without without being without being too academic, I think I think what I find really interesting is if you look at um, um, Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of very, very practical examples about life and about and about risk. And, and, and you can apply those situations to almost anything. It is not necessarily just about strategies for, for warfare and things. Well, I mean, Gordon Gecko gave it to Buddy Fox from Wall Street, right? Absolutely right. And there are just so many just little nuggets in there, which are... And, and, and essentially, the whole book is just common sense, because when you read everything, nothing is particularly surprising. It all perfectly fits... And actually, you just think, yeah, look, just think a little bit. Have a strategy before you do anything. And you know what? If you look at some of the Art of War maxims uh, and, and commentary, it applies right now into Ukraine and Russia. And some of those things he predicted several thousand years ago in terms of responses and, 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 and how Russia would respond and how Ukraine would respond and some of the weaknesses and opportunities is still relevant today. Very interesting. I might have to sort of get dust it off the shelf. And then... Um what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting their career to follow in your footsteps? I would say uh, be open, take risks, uh, put yourself forward, uh, make sure you enjoy yourself uh, and, and, and actually see a career as a marathon. It's not a sprint. Don't, you mustn't burn yourself out too early. You've got to look after yourself. You've got to, the most important thing, I think, is um, to don't, feel, don't ever feel in a hurry 
But at the same time, there'll be moments and opportunities that you really have to have the presence of mind to jump in with both feet when it might have been easier just to back off. They are very important opportunities in your life, which don't always sadly come by too often. And I think I think being open to things, therefore, is is, is the most important way. Which is, I think, I guess, some very wise words. Uh, how can listeners get in touch with you? I mean, Twitter, the website, how, how would you like that to happen? Yeah, certainly. So um, on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, please feel free to get in touch directly, but equally through through the website, there's um, plenty of opportunities to get in touch directly on, on, on Watkin Jones's website. Richard, thank you very much for your time. It's been a delight. Well, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it too. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.